I feel like after all the things that have already happened here this morning, I ought to be preaching something a little more inspirational than what I've got on the agenda today. But, uh, sorry. This is the third in a series of message that I resisted preaching. First one was the one I preached on hell way back in April. Long I guess we're not working very well today, are we? So we will turn this, we'll turn this one off and go to this microphone. Okay. The first one was the one I preached on hell way back in April. That was a fun one, he said sarcastically. The next one was the last time I preached, and that was on Mother's Day. And I gave a state of the situation on abortion and our response to that. And today is another one I really wish that someone else would preach. But I committed to you a few years back, I'm sure all of you remember that, that, each, uh, that one of the elders, at least, would at least once a year preach on a topic that's really central to our Christian faith. And since none of the other slackers, I mean uh, elders, have done so, here I am fulfilling my promise to you to bring you something that we all need to hear. So I'm really very hopeful that the next time I preach, the Lord will allow me to preach something a little more inspirational. Yet, just as with the Sermon on Hell, if we are going to, in fact, preach the whole counsel of God, and that's something that the elders are truly all teasing aside, very uh, committed to doing. Uh, If we're going to be faithful to pay attention to those critical themes that we see consistently in the Word of God, we have to at least periodically look at things that are maybe a little less comfortable for us to explore. So today we're going to explore a theme that is referenced in 2,300 different verses of Scripture. Jesus preached 39 parables, and 11 of these are related to what we're going to look at today. Of course, we're looking at the theme of stewardship or money and possessions. Unlike the last two messages that I resisted preaching, this one is ripe for opportunities for humor. For example, if we took the offering after today's sermon, I would hope that no one would imitate this particular example of bad church etiquette, taking money from the offering bag because you don't think you got your money's worth out of today's service. We do believe that each one of us needs to clearly be directed by God about how much we are supposed to give, but we hope that doesn't lead to situations like this one, where this man says, we only give when we feel led. The last time we felt led was 1979. We must preach about giving or stewardship, and we do so out of a sense of pastoral concern, a lot like this one. In studying our records, I found out that when it comes to giving, many people stop at nothing. You'll see a very practical TCF-related example of that before we close. And the last cartoon I'll show you hits a little bit closer to the mark. It says that this pastor got very excited about the stewardship committee's new idea. The pledge card says, step one, how much do you make? Step two, send it all in. That brings us to the title of today's sermon, It's All His. That's where we must start. We must start when it comes to any truly biblical understanding of giving as a believer in Christ and as a member of a local church. It all belongs to God. Scripture is absolutely clear about this, and we need to be too. This is a list of just a handful of scriptures that make this idea clear. So let me just read these ones here that are on your screen here this morning. The land must not be sold separately, it says in Leviticus 25. Because the land is mine, and you are but aliens and my tenants. You know what a tenant is, right? 
You're living on somebody else's property. First Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Job 41.11, who has a claim against me, God says, that I must pay. Everything under heaven belongs to me. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. 1 Corinthians 4.7, for who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If you then received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? Psalm 50, for every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is in it. And Haggai, chapter 2, verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. You can search the scriptures all day long, and you will not find a single verse that even suggests that God has surrendered his ownership of anything to us. Let me paraphrase these last few verses that we just looked at and put it into a context that we can all relate to. The psalmist, for example, writes, of the voice, writes with the voice of God speaking. And so God says that every animal in the forest belongs to him and the cattle on a thousand hills. Now, in the time that this was written everyone would have understood these references pretty clearly to be about God's ownership of absolutely everything. But I don't know about you, but I don't think anybody here has cattle. Some have chickens, I know, but I don't think anybody has cattle. Most of us don't have gold or silver, but we do have TVs. We do have iPhones and cars and clothing and houses or apartments. So if God were speaking this to our modern ears, he might say something like this, all the money in your bank account belongs to me. All those shoes in your closet are mine. That iPhone in your pocket is mine. Or your Samsung Galaxy phone, whatever the case may be, whatever brand you have, it doesn't matter. It's still mine. And if you're using that smartphone now, God might say, it had better be for the purpose of looking up scriptures and not for playing games or surfing the internet or checking Facebook. Because it's mine, and you are responsible to use it well and to use it for my purposes. And right now, my purpose is for you to listen to this sermon. That car that you drive is mine. If I were hungry, I'd eat whatever I wanted from your refrigerator. And I wouldn't feel obligated to even ask you if it was okay because it already belongs to me, the refrigerator and the food. That's the idea here, folks. That's the idea when we read these passages of Scripture. It's all his. You don't own anything. I don't own anything. I used to tease my girls when they were younger, and I would say, you don't own anything. Mom and Dad bought and paid for it all, and we can take it away anytime we want. The good news here is that God lets us use all these things that are his. 
He lets us enjoy things that he owns. He's gracious and generous that way. Now, this understanding is not to make us feel bad or feel guilty. This understanding tells us four key things. It tells us the overarching theme here. It's all his. God owns everything. It tells us that he allows us to use and manage the things that he owns for our benefit and for the benefit of his kingdom. And in managing these things, we must be faithful to hold loosely what doesn't belong to us, which is everything, nothing belongs to us, and to determine to give generously at his direction. And this reality is designed to grow in us a heart of gratitude for God's goodness. So again, this understanding isn't to make us feel bad or feel guilty for what we have. It's to help us develop grateful hearts and learn to manage God's resources well, and they are his resources. First of all, we should be grateful that we don't have the burden of ownership. Until I was preparing this message, I never really thought about that, but the burden of ownership means we have to fix things. Think of it in our usual context. If you own a house and something goes wrong, you have to fix it. It's your responsibility to fix it or to pay somebody to fix it. If you rent a house, the owner's responsible to pay for things that need fixing. There's a sort of a burden. There's a sort of responsibility of ownership. And if we own nothing and God owns everything, then he's responsible for fixing things that are broken. He's also responsible for supplying needs. If you're the owner of a business, it's up to you to supply everything from the tools that are needed to do whatever business you're in to the means for your employees to survive, their paychecks. You provide the space to work in. You pay the electric bill to run the computers or the air conditioning or the heater or the lights. You buy gasoline if you're the employee that needs to drive a company truck, which you also, as the employer, have to buy. You do these things because you're the owner. I don't, for example, pay for the office space that I use as an employee of this church. I don't have to buy the phone that's on my desk, or I don't have to buy my desk. Your responsibility as an employee, on the other hand, is to use the things that the owner has provided to help this business succeed and to grow. Another way of that not owning anything helps us develop grateful hearts is because we have a very benevolent and generous owner. First of all, staying with this analogy of the owner of a business, he provides wonderful tools for us to do what he's hired us to do. In the context of a business, let's assume that the owner really does provide everything we need to do our job and to do them well. If we need a computer and we need good software to do the specific tasks that the owner wants us to do, he provides a reliable computer, he provides appropriate software, and a comfortable and safe work environment to do our jobs. If we work in almost any other kind of setting, the owner is faithful to provide the tools and the resources we need. And he also provides us with adequate income, so we don't need to spend our workday worrying about where tonight's meal will come from. Of course, this analogy can easily break down because most of us have probably worked at one time or another for bosses who didn't provide a good work environment or didn't pay us adequately. But in the context of what we're looking at this morning, God owns everything, and that's not something we need to worry about. We don't have to worry about what he provides for us 
Because though we may be employees of owners in the world, ultimately, for those of us who are in Christ, we're kingdom employees. We work for a heavenly kingdom. The owner is the king of kings and the Lord of lords and the maker of the universe, and it's all his. We're each managers. We're stewards of the resources that God has given us to manage. And that includes the time we have. That includes the physical assets we have, these bodies that we walk around in. That includes, additionally, the material assets that we have, the money, the possessions that we have. We have them only in the sense that God has allowed us to use them. It's up to us to use them in ways that God intends. So though we may have earthly owners or bosses who don't live up to their responsibilities as owners or bosses to provide what we need to do our jobs well, that's not the case with the ultimate owner, the one who can really say that it's all his. We read in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. So there you have it, folks. God has given us, and you can't give what's not already yours. He has given us through his divine power, which I must remind you is the same power that created everything that there is. But through his divine power, he's given us everything we need for life. He's given us everything we need for godliness. So if nothing belongs to me and it all belongs to him, what does that look like in a practical sense? We use it for his purposes and we are grateful for what he provides. He provides income. He provides a roof over our heads. He provides clothing to wear. He provides food on our tables. And more than that, another thing I used to remind my daughters of, he gives us everything we need and much of, or even really for many of us, most of what we just want. What we need is different from what we want. That's hard to teach kids, isn't it? It's hard to teach that to a lot of adults. I need food. I need shelter. I need clothing. And I have all these things. Thanks be to God. I don't need a flat screen TV, but God in his gracious generosity has allowed me to enjoy one. I don't need this smartphone. Isn't it interesting how many things that are really just wants that have become in our culture needs? But let's be real. We got along fine without cell phones of any kind 30 years ago, let alone smartphones, let alone these pocket-sized computers that we can carry around, more powerful than the computers that landed a man on the moon. So let's be realistic and honest about the things that are truly needs and the things that we really just want because they bring enjoyment or even those things that enhance our work or our ministry, but we don't absolutely need. I don't need a smartphone. Yes, it does enhance my life, and yes, I can indeed use it for godly purposes, but in reality, it falls into the realm of want. And again, that's another wonderful thing about our good and gracious God. He does provide for all of our needs, but also for many or even most of our wants. So in response, what do we do? We develop an attitude of gratitude. Thank you, God. But we also turn those wants toward his purposes. 
So it's legitimate to use, I believe, some of those wants for things like relaxation. Because another thing that God owns is me. He owns this body. He owns my time, my physical well-being. And God knows better than I do how frail I really am. So to be able to serve him fully, we need respite. We need Sabbath. And some of the things that we just want can be used to help us find that rest. God is not an ogre who doesn't want us to enjoy good things. A message on stewardship, this message this morning, is not meant to turn us into ascetics. Asceticism is the Greek word for exercise or training. It's from the Greek word, and it's a lifestyle that's characterized by abstinence from sensual pleasures. And often we hear about asceticism for the purpose of pursuing spiritual goals. So I'm all about pursuing spiritual goals, and ascetic practices may serve a purpose for a season. Or occasionally God may actually call some of us to that as a lifestyle. John the Baptist, for example, lived an ascetic lifestyle. Why else would you eat locusts, right? For God's clear purposes, he lived that ascetic lifestyle. Fasting is an ascetic practice, but it's for a specified period of time. But here's the thing, folks. Scripture also doesn't command us or require asceticism as a lifestyle for everyone. In fact, in Colossians chapter 2, Paul says asceticism serves no purpose in curbing our self-indulgence. We read in 1 Timothy a much more balanced approach that gets at the root of this issue. Reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6, starting with verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So, my brothers and sisters, we can freely enjoy God's good gift of things that we just want and don't really need. As long as we remember this key principle and live by it, it's all his. And because of that, our hope is in him. The implications of this include the fact that the owner of all these things, who's God, can ask us to use his resources on something other than a flat screen TV or an iPhone or a new dress or a shirt that we don't really need but just want. God doesn't just own the universe. He owns you and me. We are twice his, first by creation and second by redemption. So we must regularly ask ourselves, are we going to be rich toward ourselves? Are we going to be rich in good deeds, generous and willing to share, and rich toward God? How we handle our money and possessions is a picture of what we really believe about the ownership of our stuff and ourselves. Do we own anything, or does God truly own everything? Do we really believe that it's all his? If we do believe that, shouldn't we be asking ourselves every day this question? God, what do you want me to do with my stuff? It's your stuff. What do you want me to do with your stuff today? What do you want me to do with my life, which is in your hands? We have unrestricted access 
to a resource management account that God has put in our names. Just like in the world, this is a privilege that can be abused. God trusts us to set our own salaries. God trusts us to draw from his funds to pay for our living expenses. The reality is that it's all his should have an impact on what we use from that fund, shouldn't it? Shouldn't it have an impact on how we use what God owns? We remember that he's a generous owner, and he doesn't demand that we live in poverty or that we don't spend anything on ourselves. But again, should the reality that I'm just a manager, a steward, change my perspective on how I spend my money and possessions for which God has given me responsibility? So think about this. When we truly embrace this idea, I'm a steward, God owns everything, it changes our perspective. Instead of asking, how much money should I give out of the goodness of my heart? I should be asking, Lord, how do you want me to invest my money today? Now at TCF, here's an interesting thing. I've never heard a message specifically on tithing. There is a reason for that. The tithe is not a law we need to follow. We live under the new covenant. However, before you think, okay, I'm off the hook, there's an important principle in the tithe that we cannot ignore. Let me read from Deuteronomy 14. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there, you shall eat the tithe of your grain and your wine and your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. So the tithe was seen as clearly belonging to God already. People didn't give a tithe. They paid it. They repaid it to the one who already owns it. That's why the Old Testament includes wording like bringing the tithe, taking the tithe, presenting or even paying tithes and first fruits rather than giving them. The tithe wasn't optional. It was not optional in the Old Testament. Tithing wasn't any more optional than paying your taxes is today. If you think paying your taxes today is optional, just try it out and see what happens. Note that the purpose of tithing in the verse we just read in verse 23 was that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. So while we don't teach tithing at TCF, the principle is still important. It was a law that trained people to put God first in their lives, giving our whole lives to him, including everything we have. That's why every New Testament example of giving goes beyond the tithe. It doesn't just stop there. Jesus affirmed the tithe, but he added to it in Matthew 23 when he said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, and dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So the tithe is just a starting place. It's training wheels for giving. And sadly, the average church-going giver among American Christians, statistics show, gives 2.5%. Not anywhere close to 10%, which is a tithe. So just because we don't teach legalistic tithing doesn't mean that there's nothing about tithing that we can learn from. We teach other things that can become legalistic too. 
such as the good spiritual disciplines of church attendance and prayer and Bible reading. But just because they can be abused, just because they can become legalistic, doesn't mean that they're not useful. The New Testament clearly demonstrates that Christians are called upon to be more sacrificial, to be more generous, not less. So where does that leave us? Giving is a part of our Christian lives. Not all will give, but everyone should give without exception. I'd love to let some of you who don't have very much money off the hook. But I can't because Scripture won't let me. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 7 says, Each man should give what he has dedicated in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So when we give, we're acknowledging with all of our actions that it is all his. It's saying, God, you're Lord. You're in charge of my money. You're in charge of my possessions. Everything I have from you. Now, as long as I have money, I believe I own it. But when I give it away, I've given up control of it. And I've given up the power that comes from having it. Nationally, Four out of ten church attenders give nothing. You remember that cartoon we saw at the beginning? Four out of ten church attenders give nothing. Another two out of three give next to nothing. C.S. Lewis said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. George Mueller said, God judges what we give by what we keep. So at TCF, we teach this. It's all his. It's all his. The tithe is just a starting place for our giving, though it's not a law. We also believe what this quote from Randy Alcorn says in his book, Money, Possessions, and Eternity. He says, giving should start with your local Bible-believing Christ-centered church, the spiritual community where you're fed and to which you're accountable. In the New Testament, giving was not directed to the church at large, the universal body of Christ, but to the church, the local Christian assembly. Even gifts that were sent to other places were given through the local church. Of course, this doesn't mean that we can't ever give to other ministries or organizations, but we should start with the local church, and that means TCF. Now, I want you to know that I'm not preaching this message this morning from a desire to increase our budget, although that would be nice. I'm not preaching this message to make up for any shortfall that we have in our income. God's in charge, folks. And as a group of elders, we want to practice what we preach. So in our managing of the resources that God has blessed us with, we do our very best to be faithful stewards, knowing that it's God who supplies our needs and trusting him to do so. So, yes, we do watch the church finances very carefully. And I want to emphasize that our church finances are an open book. We've said this before, and I'll say it again, even though nobody's ever taken me up on it. If you want to see what our budget looks like, come and I'll show you. There's nothing secret. We're not, we're not a closed group here. We want you to know and we want you to trust us. And I thank you for the trust that you do invest in the elders when it comes to this. But we don't worry about the supply. We consistently take this before God and ask for his leading on how we are to manage his resources given to this church through you. So the message today isn't because of those things. It's primarily pastoral. 
It's important for all of us to be reminded on a regular basis because of the materialistic world we live in that it's all his. It's important for all of us to be reminded that the way we demonstrate that it all belongs to him is by giving. And our pastoral concern is that we all get this. We all get this idea. About five years ago, I told you about the results of a report I ran from the software that we use to track the, and manage the finances here at TCF. At that point, I began to wonder, when I was preparing a message on stewardship, I began to wonder how I could determine where TCF fit into some of those statistics that I mentioned to you a moment ago, like average giving being about 2.5% and the statistic that 4 in 10 churchgoers give nothing. But the elders don't know who gives what, and I wanted to keep it that way. It's always been that way as long as I've been around, and the elders don't know. I have no way of knowing how much money each one of you make either, and so how can I determine what, uh, whether you're tithing unless I know how much money you're making? But I found this report in our system called a contribution range report, and what it does is it aggregates giving according to the range of money given, the amount. In other words, the many people, how many people gave between this amount and this amount. And I ran that report for the fiscal year 2018, just last, this past week, and here's what I learned. And I want to remind you before I share these uh, statistics with you that this is just a snapshot, and it doesn't account for those who give cash without their names attached, and it only includes money given by those who are designated in our system as active TCF members or as active non-members. So it isn't a perfect picture, and I don't mean to present it that way. But it does provide some interesting information. I think it's interesting. Maybe you'll be bored to tears. Number one, $293,587 was given to TCF in 2018 from the 67 TCF member families or singles or active non-members. 23 families or individuals, just a little over a third of that total, gave... 85% of the total income of the church, averaging $10,800 per person. Each of these families or singles gave over $5,000 to TCF during the course of 2018. Seven families or singles contributed 9% of TCF's income, each giving between $2,500 and $5,000 during the year. And then we see that four families or singles contributed 2.7% of TCF's income, each giving between $1,500 and $2,500. Six families or singles gave 2.6%, giving between 1,000 and 1,500 during the year. And six families or singles gave the remainder of TCF's income, each giving between zero and $1,000. Now, here's the, the statistic that I want you to note 21 families or singles gave nothing to the church in 2018. That's almost a third of the fellowship. Now, why should the elders care about this? Why should you care about this? If we don't want to know who gives what, why should we care? We can't even really know who gives what. Because the word of God is clear that it's all his. The word is just as clear that part of our Christian lives is giving. And if we truly have nearly a third of this body that gives nothing, and again, remember, this isn't a perfect report, that's a pastoral concern to the elders. Let me tell you, that's just as pastorally concerning as if we learned that a third of you never read your Bible and never prayed. 
It's in the job description, my brothers and sisters, of the elders to watch over your souls. So though we don't know who might fit into this never give category, so don't worry, we're not going to come pick on you after the service and say, you're in that number seven statistic. It's not going to happen. You do know where you fit in. And this morning I can admonish you to get out of that category of never giving. I'm not going to tell you how much you're going to give, how much you should give. I'm not going to say you should even tithe. That's not what this is about. But I can encourage all of us this morning to seek God about which of those categories of givers we should be in. We've always been encouraged here. I've been encouraged by pastors 39 years ago, Bill Sanders, Chuck Farrow, when they preached, to strive to be a higher percentage giver, strive to give more than 10, more than 12, strive to be a 15, a 17, a 20% giver. I've taken those things to heart, I hope, and I know many of you have as well. But I can encourage all of us to seek God about which of these categories we should be in, and that why is that? Because the foundational truth that we looked at this morning, it's all his. It's all his. I'm just a steward. I'm just a manager of what belongs to God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is so clear that everything belongs to you. It's all yours. Your word is also very clear that we are managers and stewards of what a gracious and generous God gives us and allows us to use for your purposes as well as for our needs. So first of all, Father, we want to declare our gratitude to you for being such a wonderful provider that we have everything we need. We want to thank you for being a wonderful provider that we have many of the things that we just want and don't even really need. We thank you for that, Father. But we pray, Father, that we would always regularly ask the question, Father, what do you want me to do with your stuff that you have given me? That that would be on our hearts on a daily basis, Father, as we go about our day, as we decide how to spend our time, what to invest our time and energy into, as we decide how to spend our money, as we decide what to do with the possessions you've given us. May that be the heartbeat that you give us, Father. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. Bill, thank you for being faithful.